Do you Fuck. believe in miracles? Yeah. Yes. yes. Forty years ago. Yes, time flies when you're having fun. You're 40 years ago this week as we welcome you to this 465th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. We are here. Hope all is well wherever you are in this uh, wonderful world that we live in. Um, 40 years ago this week was the miracle on ice that happened for the United States men's hockey team in Lake Placid, New York, when the U.S. beat the Russians 4-3 to in the semifinal game, which led to beating, I believe it was Finland, but don't quote me on that. It didn't really matter. It was anticlimactic for the Americans after they had beaten the Russians on the Friday night. The Sunday gold medal game, I believe, was between the United States and Finland, but it doesn't matter because the U.S. won that game to win the gold medal in 1980 at Lake Placid. Again, this was one of the greatest uh, Russian teams, supposedly, quote-unquote, in air quotes, a amateur team. Sure, okay. Prior to the game against the Russians, the USSR had won all 12 matchups between the U.S. and Russia between the 1960 and 1980 Olympics, outscoring the Americans by an amazing total of 117-26. to 26. One of the greatest coaching jobs in history turned in by U.S. coach Herb Brooks, who of course is not with us anymore, but what an unbelievable job when you've got a team that's captained by Mike Ruzioni and you've got a team that was, the goaltender was Jim Craig, who just stood on his head for two weeks in, in Lake Placid. And really, I know that Craig had a career with the Boston uh, Bruins for a while and the Washington Capitals for a while, but obviously never recaptured the same success that he had for two weeks that unbelievable two weeks at Lake Placid back in 1980. But, and again, think about it this way. The miracle on ice had a lot to do with the career of one Al Michaels, too. Think about it. A lot of people to this day obviously know Al Michaels because of him being on Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football and all the different football telecasts. But he is still remembered by a lot of people for his call at the very end of that Friday night game, the semifinal game against the USSR, when Al Michaels famously, with his line, do you believe in miracles? And do you believe in miracles? Yeah. Yes. yes. And uh, damn right, that was a miracle. The U.S. beats the Russians 4-3 to three to advance to the gold medal winning game, which I again believe that they beat Finland in that game. If it's Norway, you know, I'm close. But again, the, the, the whole basis here is 40 years ago, this improbable bunch of hockey players, Buzz Schneider, Mark Johnson, um, again, captained by uh, Iruzioni, um, just still one of the greatest accomplishments of all, in all, of all time, in my opinion, in sports, because you look on it on paper, and this is why they play the games, but on paper, this looked like one of the greatest mismatches of all time. And it, the funny thing is, in the prelims, before they started playing for real, the Russians kicked the crap out of the United States. The same teams that met a couple weeks later in the semifinal game, and the U.S. pulls out the miracle 4-3. to three. So in honor of this accomplishment from 40 years ago, 
I have come up with off the top of my head, and it really is the top of my head. I'm quite surprised. Who do you think are the top five? And everybody's list is going to be different. This is just, I'm throwing this out here for conversation purposes, past or present. Who are, can you name maybe what you believe to be the top five American players that have played in the National Hockey League, past or present, as kind of a symbol of congratulations, a symbol of pride, a symbol of a lot of different reasons, but in honor of the accomplishments from 40 years ago, the miracle on ice, when the U.S. beats the Russians 4-3, to basically to win the gold medal at the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. Give me five guys. You can give me three if you want. I don't care. I've got five. The top five best ever American players, past or present. You want to start? Well, no. What I'd like to do is have you start, and then I'll do top five American players that weren't on Mike's list. Perfect. Excellent idea. Um, I'm going five down. Number five on my list. Um, a key contributor to the last time the New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup. It's been since 1994. Twice since 1940 for the Blue Shirts. So the Blue Shirts need to get their shit together here pretty soon. Um, number five on my list is Brian Leach played with the New York Rangers from 1988 to 2006 is number five on my list. Number four on my list is a gentleman that, uh, probably had his career cut short by concussion problems. I truly believe, but Pat LaFontaine was a scoring machine at one time, originally with the New York Islanders and then ended his career to my recollection with the Buffalo Sabres. Played in the National Hockey League from 1984 to 1998. Pat LaFontaine is number four on my list. Number three on my list is the highest scoring American in National Hockey League history, and that would be one Mike Madano. Played for the Minnesota North Stars, and then when they were moved by Norm Green down to Dallas and became the Dallas Stars, Mike Madano played his illustrious career as a member of the Stars organization from 1990 to 2011. And again, Mike Madano is the all-time leading scoring American in National Hockey League history. Number two on my list is a current player. Um, not a big fan of him personally, but I think that he's a hell of a hockey player. And part of the reason I don't like him probably is that he plays in Toronto. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, he's the kid from Arizona. I'm talking about Austin Matthews from the Maple Leafs. He was drafted first overall and has been with the Maple Leafs since 2017. And my, I don't know if he's the best of all time. I think he is in regard to being an American in the National Hockey League. But I'm going with a current member of the Chicago Blackhawks, Patrick Kane. He's been with the Hawks since 2008. And I have him as my number one all-time American who played or is playing in the National Hockey League. Okay, so what I'll do, I'm not going to put them in any order, but if I uh, if I did have to have an honorable uh, mention, what I would do, I guess I'd make these guys tied for five, and they actually were a goaltending tandem that played together for the New York Rangers, and that's Mike Richter and John Van Beesbrook. Nice. So they were very, very, very talented, great mm -hmm. guys. I remember briefly in, boy, the early 2000s, uh, the Oilers acquired Mike Richter's rights briefly for some really? transactional reason. Yeah, and I don't think he ever would have played here, especially back then and, and all this. But we briefly had his rights for like a day to do something with it, I forget. But anyway, 
And by the way, also, uh, Brett Hall, it does not count. He no, was born... I didn't. I, I know. Right. Yeah. That's why yeah. I didn't put him on my yeah, list. Yeah, because he's... He, right, he played for the States. He has dual citizenship, but he was born in Belleville, Ontario, so he doesn't count as an American-born American. player. Yeah, he doesn't count as an American-born player. Correct. For sure. Okay, so then my top four, I suppose, in no particular order. We'll throw a couple of Chicago Blackhawks on there. Chris Chelios, who played 26 seasons, was extremely durable, played till he was 46, I believe. And uh, Jeremy Roenick, who, for anyone who plays... Uh, NHL 94 for the Genesis, which is still the most popular hockey game of all time and still going strong and people love to play it. I mean, Mike wouldn't because when you load up the game, you see Ron Barr's face animated. So <laughs> Mike can't play it, but anybody else can play That's it. True. Anybody else can play it because they don't, they don't know who the fuck Ron Barr is. And so they, they, they don't think anything Lucky of them. it. Yeah. So they don't think anything of it. So they can just play. So it's great. So, uh, but anyway, the re the thing is in, in NHL 94, Jeremy Roenick is the best guy in the game because Jeremy Roenick, he's his, he was very talented, of course, but on paper, he was even more talented. And this is what I see with someone like Darnell Nurse today, where it's like, yeah, they're a good player, but if you put them in a video game, they're unbelievable. Like, they've got, <laughs> like, their there's, there's stats, if you have to put a rating on everything they do, it's through the roof. Like, it, you know, and so it's it's great. you got to play with Ronick for sure when you're playing there. And then these two guys, I think, are just fantastic. And I, I think these are important to mention. The one guy who always gets forgotten in these lists of American-born NHL players is Joe Mullen, who played oh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He played at the University of Wisconsin. And there you go. So God damn it. Now, now, Mike is full of shame now, as, and he deserves to be because no one should forget Joe Mullen, who, when he retired, was the highest-scoring American-born player and was from Wisconsin, as Mike wears his oh. Bucks hat with a picture of the state of Wisconsin on it as we speak. So that's Sorry, too bad. Joey. So that's too bad. And then, of course, probably Mike. My favorite and uh, NHL uh, player who was born in the states of all time, Phil Housley, uh, fifteen hundred games, over a thousand points, could do it all, could defend, was an amazing skater, offensive. Like you, you, another guy who would be great in a video game. Actually, he is an NHL '94. You can play as him, and he's just—I mean, he could just do it all. I mean, that's the type of guy. Phil Housley in his prime—that's someone you want as a franchise defenseman who can just do it all. But those are my. Um, my leftovers from Mike's list. You showed me up again. Ah, <laughs> damn it. Joey Mullen. God damn it. Uh, sorry, Joey. No disrespect intended. I just was doing this off the top of my head. Um, wow. There was a hall. I can't remember the name of the hall, but at this time, this is in the mid-80s. This is a long time ago. That housed all the athletes at the University of Wisconsin. And this is when Wisconsin had a baseball program. Wisconsin does not have a baseball program now. They they disbanded it in the early 90s. Um, and my brother was playing for the University of Wisconsin baseball team. But on that same hall were all the hockey players. And my brother said when he was there, Chelios was there, uh, Tomas Sandstrom was there, um, Suter was there, all living on the same the same hallway, and um, unbelievable. Tony Granado was there. Tony Granado is now the head hockey coach at the University of Wisconsin, and I forget Joey Mullen. My God! Wow. So two of my guys were from Wisconsin. I know. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, bad day. Really bad day for me. Um, this was funny. You know. Um, 
I have said on this show many, many times, and continue will continue to say it, um, that one of the greatest team streaks in all of professional sports was the 25-year successive playoff appearances by the Detroit Red Wings in the National Hockey League. I don't know how. And a lot of credit, obviously, goes to Ken Holland and whoever was the predecessor to him as a general manager in Detroit. I don't know who it was. A lot of this success obviously has to go to Scotty, Scotty Bowman for his years of, of being behind the bench in, in Detroit. Um, but to make your sports playoff season, playoff whatever, the second season, 25 years in a row, is freaking outstanding. It is one of the greatest accomplishments in all of team sports. Um, the San Antonio Spurs this year will have their 22-year successive run that will be stopped this year. The Spurs are not going to see the NBA playoffs this year. Last year was the first time in 19, 18 or 19 years that the Spurs didn't win 50 games. Last year, the Spurs got in to make it 21 years in a row in the playoffs, but they only won, only won 48 games. That will be stopped this year because the Spurs are just not going to do it. But for the Detroit Red, Red Wings to make it 25 years in a row to the postseason is unfreaking believable to me. Um, but there is a price to pay when you're that successful for that long of time. And that's where I'm going with this because Friday night, the Detroit Red Wings, with their loss to the New York Islanders, become the earliest team eliminated from playoff consideration since the 1996 Ottawa Senators when both teams were eliminated in game number 63. With that loss last night to the Islanders, the Red Wings' season record falls to 15-44-4 for a total of just 34 points, and they are a full 15 points behind the second-worst club in the National Hockey League, to, which to my recollection right now would be the Los Angeles Kings. But I don't know who. Well, I mean, I do know who. It's Iserman, Steve Iserman, but he just came on in the last year or so. Um, previous to Eiserman, I can't tell you who the general manager was in D well, it was Ken Holland too. Oh, God, I should know that. But anyway, there is a price to pay when you've been that good for that long and you draft at the bottom every year. Ask the New England Patriots how difficult it is to maintain successful seasons when you're always drafting in 30, 31, or 32. Same for the Detroit Red Wings in the National Hockey League. How do you rebuild when the really creme de la creme guys are already obviously gone when you're always drafting at 30, 31, or 32. But I do have one thing to say here before I get Chris involved in this little note from my head. This year when the Montreal Expos and our favorite general manager, Toilet Bowl, Toilet Guy, who makes acquisitions from the bathroom, and a good one with Ilya, Choval Ilya Kovalchuk, I'll give him credit for that, tough as it is for me to say. But when the Montreal Canadiens... Uh, probably fire Claude Julien at the end of this year for the second time. I think one thing that they need to look at real hard and heavy when they wonder what the hell went wrong in the 2019-2020 season for the Montreal Canadiens, here it is. 
They were 0-4 this year against the Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings have won 15 games this year, and four of them were against the Montreal Canadiens. Wow, I didn't know that. That's a great stat to say to people. I work with a a really huge Red Wings fan, and uh, so, I mean, he's trying to just enjoy the whole thing. Maybe they'll get a first overall pick for the first time ever, I think. So that'd be neat, but I, I, I love this this topic though and i find it interesting would you be interested I'm, i wanted to list these stats would you be interested in some trivia and guessing on some absolutely. of these absolutely you know i am okay sounds good so sometimes we'll sometimes i get them right so we'll do active streaks and all time in each sport here so we'll do nhl first so longest active streak of making the playoffs is 12 seasons who do you think that is Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're correct, sir. Great. I can go home now. (laughs) Great. Great job. Okay. Longest streak of making the playoffs in the NHL all time, 29 seasons in a row. It's got to be the Canadiens. No, it is not. Hmm. It's another team with the same colors as the Pittsburgh Penguins, but not the Pittsburgh Penguins. What's another team that has the same colors as the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yellow and black. Um, Jesus. Our, Our good buddy who, uh, our good buddy, Don Cherry. The Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins. Oh, and I do send congratulations to the Boston Bruins for winning here last night, four to three. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I send congratulations to Don Cherry for reaching a million downloads before we did, even though he's got only a few episodes and we have almost five hundred. But it's Don Cherry, so he's forgiven. That's okay. All right, this one I think you know. Oh yeah, you must know this one. Longest active streak in the NBA: twenty seasons, making the playoffs every year. You've mentioned this lots of it's times. It's got to be the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, it is, of course. Uh, longest, and they're they're closing in on the records. The record in NBA all time is uh, twenty two seasons. Any idea? Lakers. Uh, no. So we've got okay. So the Jazz also have twenty. Trailblazers have twenty one. And I got to make sure I'm reading this right. Uh, so this one, oh, the the, the one in first is a single franchise. But they ha- they over the course of that streak were two different in two different cities. Oh, so that would be would be the Jazz because they were in no New Jazz Orleans? no Jazz. Oh, you mentioned 20. the Jazz, yeah. yeah you mentioned so, the Jazz, yeah. So it was so the streak was from 1950 to 1971. 1950 to 19. The um, like oh, the Baltimore Bullets. No. They okay, won the uh, St. Louis Hawks. Nope. They won the first one in 1955 in the first city and 1967 in the second city. Oh, no. Uh, the Syracuse Nationals, who became the Philadelphia 76ers. I'll be damned. Okay. Well, there you go. That's a tough... That's one you can stump people on. Oh, yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Good luck, good luck getting Oh, Here's one. another one you can always stump the people on in the NBA. How many cities have the current Sacramento Kings played in? Oh, jeez. I, I have no idea. Yeah. How many? They started in Rochester, New York. They went to Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Royals. They started as the Rochester Royals went to the Cincinnati Royals, became the Kansas City Omaha Kings, and now, of course, are the Sacramento Kings. Oh, I should I was going to guess four as a random guess. I should have said it. Whatever. doesn't matter. I was totally pulling something out of my ass. Okay, you should get this one, I hope. Uh, NFL, active eight years in a row. Oh, it's the New England Patriots. Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, wait a minute. Hold it. It's more than eight, too. Hold on. Give me a second. The Packers were oh, at eight. I, you know what? I apologize. I didn't. I just noticed this list is from 2016. Yeah. I apologize. The so, Packers were at eight 
until the last two years that they missed before this year. Yes, and so this list had Patriots and Packers tied at eight, which is right. how I knew. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This and must so you've got to add three more to the Patriots. So it's 11 for the Patriots. Okay, yeah, because on this list, the all-time for the NFL was the Dallas Cowboys at nine. So yep. that's gone now. Yep. Okay, so MLB will just go all-time 14 in a row. Got to be the Yankees or the Dodgers. No. Really? Okay. No. Um, Yank, let's see. Who 14. dominated the 90s and into the 2000s every friggin' year? Huh. On TBS Superstation. The Atlanta Braves. They won 14 <laughs> division titles in a row. My God, how the hell stupid am I? <laughs> it's okay. How about, um, about all-time NCAA men's basketball 28 in a row? That's got to be North Carolina. Yes, it is. Yeah. Got to be. Any idea on the year? What years? What year did that start? An hour end, whatever. Um, well, it's going to end this year. I mean, it's already ended, but North Carolina will not make the dance this year. But the, but the 28 years was, was not... not uh, no, I, I, I get that. Um, I'm going to say, I know they missed it one time here in the... The two thousand, the two thousands. I'm gonna. Say, I don't know. Tell me. Uh, nineteen seventy five to two thousand one. Two thousand one. Uh, okay. NCAA football all time at thirty five seasons in a row. Florida State. Uh, yes, I believe that is correct. Give me a second. Florida State Seminoles. Uh, yes, that is correct. Yep, Florida State. Good for you. That's a good one. All right, that's that's all I got there. Yeah. Um, that just shows you know, and and again, Florida State has never just. Uh, Florida State has never found their footing since Bobby Bowden resigned. They are on, look at it this way, Florida State is on their third coach in five years. This year coming up will be their third coach in five years. They bring in Mike Norville from from Memphis. and um, But Florida State, not only did they make it to a bowl game all those years in a row, there was a run of about 20 years, I can't remember, 20, 21 seasons in a row that Florida State ended up in the top five of the APUPI, that's what they used to call it, the Associated Press and the United Press International. Instead of what they have now, those were the two polls that they used to have in college football when I was growing up. And Florida State, under Bobby Bowden, ended up in the top five of the AP, Associated Press, or the UPI, United Press International polls, for like 20 years in a row, they were in the top five. That's how dominant Florida State was. Um and I guess I have to give a little credit to Deion Sanders, but that really burns my ass to do that. A um, couple things to get to before we get out of here, because um, obviously I'm we're going to dedicate a lot of one episode again to our f- favorite team in Major League Baseball and all the stuff going on there. But um, I do need to. I do have a couple of notes from the uh, National Football League. The new CBA uh, collective bargaining agreement for the National Football League has been okayed from the owner's side. The CBA vote will now has been has been has been forwarded, if you will, over to the NFL Players Association. They are not going to vote that quickly. Um, we'll have to see what happens. Big ticket items on this agreement um, seem to be an expanded playoff season of up to 14 teams from 12. The new format would only have one team getting a bye instead of two. This year, like they've, they've done in years past. This year, if you remember, in the NFC, the two bye teams, 49ers, Packers, in the AFC, Ravens, and... Uh, Chiefs. Thanks. Yeah, should know that. They won the freaking Super Bowl. But this year, the only two teams, if, if you had that same format this year, the only two teams that would have had 
that would have gotten buys would have been the Ravens in the AFC and the 49ers in the NFC. But the big sticking point really seems to be the 17-game regular season and then ultimately the 17-game season. And this really bothered me a little bit. And this would be a contention for me, is that they're only only willing to knock the preseason games from four to three. I think that's ridiculous. And I think that's why J.J. Watt has come out and said no freaking way. And that's why there's been a lot of discourse about this. I think if you if you knock the, the uh, regular season number up to 17, knock that crap, those exhibition games down to two at most. CFL's got it right there for damn sure. But to me, it seems the biggest topic seems to be the 17-game regular season. But again, the owners have uh, have voted on it. They have agreed to it. They have moved it over to the NFL Players Association, D. Wayne Smith or whatever the hell his name is. Um, now it's in, in his proverbial, now the ball is in his court to see what his organization wants to do. The NFL uh, current collective bargaining agreement does not expire till the end of the 2021 season. But hey, listen, if you've got everything pretty much checked off your checklist, let's get it ratified. Let's get it in. But I think that this 17-game regular season is going to be a sticking point for the NFLPA. Well, I've said on this show before, and I'm sticking with it. I believe that that 17th game was just pulled out of their asses as just a random imaginary thing to negotiate over. So they can take all the things they actually care about, get all that passed, get the CBA looking like they like, and then just take this random thing of a 17-game season, which is just weird and you know, not even an even number. It just seems so strange. And they just make that up and put it there. And like, okay, well, if you give us all this stuff, then we'll take that away. I mean, it's really great negotiating, shockingly. And I don't think we're going to see that. And I'm sure they'll just get past that. And and uh, then, you know, it, it makes the players take their eye off the ball, so to speak, on other things. Like, I could see that if there wasn't that, maybe they'd be asking for 49 or 50% instead of 48%, you know. But now they're not bothering trying to say, hey, like, because inevitably at some point you'd think they're going to say, like, hey, it should be 50-50. We get half and you get half. But they're not even looking at that because they're so distracted by this 17th game thing, which I don't even take seriously. So great negotiating on the part of the owners. A lot of them seem to be hacks, so I'm not going to give them credit for it. It's probably someone that they hired for negotiation, you know, come up with something, act like you're... And, you know, it's it's in Trump's books a lot. Like when I've read, I've read all of Donald Trump's books about negotiation and all that. And one of the things he says is, yeah, either make up something like that or at least focus on one of the least important things for you or just distract them with something and really drill on them and keep asking about it and make them make the other side think like, why does he keep asking about this? What what is he really up to? What does he know that we don't know? Well, you know, and so it just completely messes with them and you can kind of walk right up the middle. It's it's negotiation 101 at this point, really. And the owners are clearly, you know, completely out negotiating the players. It is great that they are making such progress so far ahead of the deadline. Right. Yeah. I thought they'd maybe be here in a year as yeah. the clock was ticking down. So it's great. You know, it, it, what is really smart for both sides is just to get any deal done. And then if the NFL can have labor peace for another 10 years and, you know, maybe Roger Goodell can maybe uh, robots don't age, but I don't know, maybe he can, <laughs> maybe he can break down or something in there at some point. But the thing is, if you're any 
of the other big four leagues. Like if you're the NFL or major or you're sorry, if you're the NFL or the NBA or the NHL, I would be doing anything I could right now to avoid negative publicity. Cause even before all this sign stealing and buzzers and trash cans and all this stuff, major league baseball had, you know, that steroid era and it's, and it's just the least exciting sport. It was already in a bad space space. Now, showing that they have the worst leader. Like, if I'm Roger Goodell, I want this deal done, and now everyone can just focus on how Rob Manfred is the worst GM in in sports, and everyone will just target him instead of Goodell, and Goodell can sit back and not worry about labor issues for a decade. And, I mean, it just if you're one of those other leagues and you're not baseball, do whatever you can to avoid any sort of negative publicity. You know, make deals quickly, Put, put uh, headlines to bed, do anything you can, because baseball is going to be a tire fire for a long time here, right. and it's getting worse. It's going directionally the wrong way, and so all you have to do is just kind of keep your nose clean a little bit, and baseball is going to take all the heat off you. Boy, you couldn't have hit it right. You couldn't have hit it more directly right on the head with that one. Um, tire fire, I like that. Uh, Major League Baseball is in a lot of trouble, um, and we'll get into baseball later, but that'll be later. I do want to... I do want before we get out of here a couple quick things. Um, last couple of days, I got to watch the um, really detailed documentary, the Thirty for Thirty series on ESPN about Michael Vick and his dog oh. and his uh, dog fighting mm-hmm. thing back in the early two thousands, uh, which ultimately cost him his fortune, which cost him his reputation, which ultimately. Uh, cost him 23 months in um, uh, Leavenworth, Kansas, the big federal penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, Now, I just want to be, I just want it to be said on this program that I was never a huge Michael Vick fan. I respected his ability, what he could do before he went to the can for 23 years, or 23 months, excuse me. But before, I mean... When Michael Vick came onto the scene as a youngster out of Newport News, Virginia, and played college ball at Virginia Tech, played only two years at Virginia Tech before becoming the number one overall draft pick in the 2001 draft, but he went to the 1999 Sugar Bowl, and um, they probably should have beaten Florida State, the Seminoles, in 1999 just because of Michael Vick's ability, then his his second year at Virginia Tech, they weren't as good. He had some injury problems, and he was like, screw this, I'm going to go make millions in the National Football League. And he was the first $100 million contracted quarterback. Having said all that and seen this very, very detailed, four hours, it was on two nights for two hours each, four hours of programming dedicated to this whole dog thing. And while I think it was... Eerie, eerie, eerily. No, not you know. Eris, um, I, it was it was bullshit. Is what he did, and I, I, I do not own a dog, but I don't believe you treat dogs like this. I get all that, but one thing I do want to make perfectly clear, and again, if dog lovers out there are going to be pissed off at what I say, well, get in line. You're not the only ones that are pissed off at me these days, but. I do want to say some of the things that I heard through this four hours of this documentary, I thought were a little bit over the top. A lot of people 
and again, they must be dog lovers, but a lot of people believe that Michael Vick should have been put to death because of his the way him and his and his bad boys kennel, if you remember that, behind his house in Virginia. A lot of people voiced their opinion quite vociferously that they believe that Michael Vick should have faced the death penalty for what he did to these dogs. Um, I don't agree with that. That's a bit ridiculous. I think 23 months in Leavenworth um, was enough. He was fined substantially. Um, and the thing that I earned some respect for from Michael Vick was he paid off all of his creditors that he know that he needed to pay back for his indiscretions with this, this dog fighting ring. Um, but I think he owes everything that he has this, to this day. Here we are now 2020 and Michael Vick is doing some work in television work for ESPN and, and doing some broadcasting stuff. But he owes everything that he is today to two people, in my estimation. That's Andy Reid, who was the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time that gave him a chance. And Andy Reid took that to Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles. And Philadelphia took a rash of shit because of this. Because, you know, there are dog lovers in Philadelphia too. And you know about the way Chris and I have uh, documented on this program about how vulgar uh, Philadelphia fans can be, especially with their passions about their homestanding teams. And Michael, Michael Vick and Andy Reid and, and uh, Jeffrey Lurie took a lot of shit from people for giving him a second chance. But to kill Michael Vick and have him, you know, have him face the death penalty for killing dogs? Um, I think we've gotten a little bit out of reality here, folks. I mean, I like to pet dogs. My next door neighbor has a golden retriever that I love, but I still don't want to make the commitment of having a dog in my home. It's not my thing. But Michael Vick did his time for his crime, paid a huge penalty. Thankfully, uh, Andy Reid and Jeffrey Lurie in Philadelphia believe in second chances. Donovan McNabb had a lot to do with that as well. But I think to... The, to the extent of wanting the death penalty for Michael Vick, that's a bit much, America. I mean, again, dogs are important, obviously. Some people, I believe, in this day and age treat their dogs better than they treat their kids. That's none of my business. That's just an observation. But to have Michael Vick face the death penalty because of this, I think that's going above and beyond. I just feel like I don't know enough about the story. And I know that everybody knows the story in general, but I remember when it was happening and it, there was all these conflicting reports of how much she was involved and how serious it was and all this. And I never really, it was, it was a kind of a, I didn't, you know, enjoy hearing about that story. So I just, I, I never really got into the nuts and bolts of it or anything like that. And so one thing I would say is just when I say that I am just as for the death penalty as you can be. That's just in principle. And that's just to me an obvious fact that everyone should agree with. But uh, in terms of 
application of the death penalty, just because I am 100% adamant that the death penalty should exist in some cases, doesn't mean I love the death penalty and I just want it applied everywhere and <laughs> everyone gets the death penalty for anything. Like, it doesn't mean that, right? So it's a very different thing. I, from what I know about this, it's that seems too severe. I, I think then... You know, I think then that would mean that a lot of to me, if you're going to do that, then anyone who does a lot of minor offenses would have to get the death penalty, too, really. And that's not to downplay the importance of dogs or animals or anything, because there's just there's just no place for dog fighting or you know, cockfighting right. or anything. Like, there's just, it's just, it's just so low bow, brow trashy. It just, you, I mean, I think you have to have been raised with this. Like, nobody, I think, comes from, or very few people would come from somewhere with no dogfighting and then just all of a sudden, like, oh, hey, let's, maybe they would, but it's hard for me to picture coming from where I come from. I, I never encountered any dogfighting in real life, and it just seems like the craziest thing to me. Death penalty, I think, from what I know, at least, is too severe for this case. But I appreciate that people want to apply the death penalty. That's a start. It's I, I think it's an important thing. We've got too many people on Earth as, as it is. And Johnny too, Manziel. And, and too many are assholes like Johnny Manziel. But uh, I, I don't think that uh, executing Michael Vick, from what I know, I don't think that would have been the right decision. All right, real quick before we get out of here, this this surprised me a little bit. Are you familiar with Ravens tight end Haven Hurst? Hayden Hurst? I'm familiar with him, yeah, sure. Very surprised by this. Read this last night, and that's why I wanted to make mention of it on Unscripted today. Surprised to read that Ravens tight end Hayden Hurst said that living with depression led to a suicide attempt four years ago. He was a football player at South Carolina at the time, tried to overdo, overdose on booze and pills the night, the night that he tried in January of 2016. He woke up the next morning in a hospital, handcuffed to the bed for a 72-hour period of observation. It was described as his come-to-Jesus moment. I am very surprised by that. And let me tell you, folks, the reason it surprises me is that depression can find a way into anybody's livelihood or their lives in general, whether you're a football player or a regular factory worker or you work at Walmart or whatever, depression can seep into your life. And I think I'm very impressed. I didn't know a lot about about this guy. I saw him play a couple of times this year, obviously. He's a contributing factor to a team that was 14-2 and two this year. But um, I'm very almost grateful that he came out and told us about this because um, not going to get all sappy and everything, but it seems to me that it gets through to some people sometimes that are a little bit depressed or are looking for something that it can happen to NFL players too and people that some people put up into the bright lights and being a different, you know, different stratosphere than us regular nine to fivers. But I, I want to thank Hayden Hurst for letting us know that this kind of stuff can, uh, it can affect people from all different walks of life just because they're national football league players or NBA players or NHL players. Well, all the major league players, baseball players are going to be thinking about it. <laughs> just a joke. But Again, I wanted to take a quick note and say thank you to Hayden Hurst for letting us know that these kind of things can creep into everybody's everyday life, regardless if you're in the NFL or you're working, you know, uh, at Costco. It doesn't matter. And I thank Mr. Hurst for that. 
Yeah, we're really starting to hear about this from all walks of life and every type of person. And uh, I, I mean, really, NFL players uh, should have at least as many cases of, of this as others because of the pen- potential for brain injuries and brain damage they could have suffered in their lives. And we know that from CTE and other things that, you know, part of depression can be from brain injuries for sure. And so that makes it even worse. And even besides brain injuries, there's a lot of depression out there. And, I, you know, it's really great that there's been such a, a really, a really good uh, effort by a lot of people to have these campaigns like Bell Let's Talk and some of these things right. where where now that like, it really has gotten rid of the stigma of, of mental illness and it's really been a, a good thing. I mean, some of these equivalent social you know campaigns seem to have all this collateral damage or even if they start off well, they go too far. Like Me Too has led to a lot of innocent uh, people, I think, being accused and and you may be even sort of summarily convicted. And, and there's been a lot of collateral damage and a lot of recklessness with a lot of these social campaigns that I see. And a lot of just people that are just kind of rotten thinking they're the good guys. But with the mental health one, um, well, I understand there's certainly potential for abuse of the system for the overwhelming majority. Uh, it has been a really, really positive thing for society. And it's really really a good thing and, and making people aware of their own mental health or asking for help or taking a break. And it's just like, there's, it, it really is an important one to me. That's the, that's the most important social campaign that uh, has come along in a long time. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. And it, I, I think it, there's no way to even countermeasure the number of people and the number of lives this is going to positively impact. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of people are, are going to help. Like there, there, I guarantee there are tons of people who might've committed suicide or hurt someone else or something like that. Uh, if over the last few years, we hadn't had the improvements when it comes to the perceptions of depression and mental illness. And so that's been a wonderful thing. So uh, good for Hayden Hurst for coming out. But to be honest, I mean, I, I think people understand now that it's, it's certainly okay to come out. Um, you know, no, nobody now is going to say like you know to Hayden Hurst like oh you know like make fun of him or something if, well you can, you can kick the shit out of him yeah do. well I mean maybe on the field if someone was a real uh, asshole who really doesn't know where society is right now uh, in the heat of the moment maybe he'd say something but man that would get a, a swift response and a wide-reaching one for sure so you don't want to do that don't say anything in the heat of the moment if you're an NFL player against Hayden Hurst and you're mad at him trust me don't say anything <laughs> uh, at least not referencing that you know tell him he you know tell him he sucks for playing for the Ravens or something but yeah it's uh good for him for for coming out and doing that but we're seeing it more and more everywhere and that's a good thing we've got to run I went a little long on this 465th episode of unscripted but because it is unscripted we can do that um again we got to run like to thank everybody for joining us on this edition and hope that you continue to do so having said that for the executive producer of unscripted Mr. Chris Fluke I'm Mike Jansen until next time